Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Up All Night, a horror anthology podcast. My name is Cortland, and with me today is the guy that's always walking through the desert. It's Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, Cortland. I wish I brought some water. Man, I wish we were at Jose's Cantina. We were supposed to be oh. going, and then you flaked on me. <laughs> yeah, I did have tacos tonight, though. Oh, I want tacos tonight. Well, have them. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. And they're going to be better than Jose's Cantina. <laughs> That's <laughs> no. impossible. <laughs> no way. Oh, man. Brandon, so besides tacos, did you do anything awesome this week? No, I've been sick most of the week. You sound a little sick. I was going to ask. Oh, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only sick in my hand. So thank you. My voice, that's just what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, so if I, I sound wheezy, yeah. then uh, we can blame it on that this week. Oh, man. Brandon, I think we need to get you out of the Australian Outback or wherever <laughs> you're at, buddy. Yeah, it's not agreeing with me. It tries to kill you at least like <laughs> six times a week. It seems that way. This season in particular has been just awful. I feel like I've been sick more than I have been not sick. Oh, man. Which is uh, not a great feeling. Is it rainy season again over there? No. Oh, it's been pretty God. dry. Fuck a rainy season. It broke everything that you loved last time. <laughs> that is true. Ugh. But if it's not raining, then it's wildfires. So. Yeah, One or the other. right. Ugh. Well, Brandon, I um, so for our watch parties on Instagram, though, we've been watching Friday the 13th the series and I'm kind of addicted to that show. It's pretty good. Really? OK. Ye- yeah. Spoilers for when we do that show on the podcast. Well, I don't think it's quite like the same kind of format, so we probably won't cover it. I think there's enough actual oh, horror man. anthologies. Because uh, this one has like okay. the main characters that do stuff every episode. So, um, but there was an episode that we watched on Wednesday called like the root of all evil, and um, it very much reminded me of the tale of the dark music. How so? So, so until and Friday the Thirteenth the series it has nothing to do with Jason. So like, okay, well I'm get out. that out of the window all right away. Like no Jason. Um, but it's uh, about a antique shop that. Uh, their uncle sold his soul to the devil and it like cursed a whole bunch of objects right so sure they they work on like recollecting all these objects from people that are using them for evil like there was um you know like a baby doll that would kill people there was uh shit what else was there <laughs> there was <laughs> there was like a scalpel that like could cut stuff like a lightsaber and then it would give this like surgeon really great surgeon skills from the nine or from the 80s surgeonry yeah yeah so like it's really fun i love cursed objects i think that should be a thing like we should have a new show with cursed objects because they're just so much fun you can do whatever you want with them it's cool but anyway the episode we watched on wednesday was called the root of all evil and the cursed object in this one was a mulcher (laughs) okay like a like a a wood chipper if you will okay those are pretty cursed already i know right so i was like wait 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 are we getting a wood chipper episode and then in the opening scene this man takes a rake smashes his wife with it and then feeds her into the wood chipper and i was like yeah we're getting a fucking wood chipper episode this is great (laughs) wow right at the top yeah, it's it was fucking awesome. It was like my favorite episode so far because like who doesn't want to see somebody go into a wood chipper, right? Like, <laughs> you know, you got all those like mechanical press uh, uh, videos on YouTube and like stuff getting grinded, and you're like 
you know everybody in their mind is like, what would happen if a person went in there? You, you can't not think of that, okay? You, you don't say it, but you think it. I'll say it. Okay. What <laughs> I would happen? What would happen? So this this wood chipper, it wants people to, like, it doesn't talk or anything, but it wants people to put people in it. And then when they do put people in it, it shoots out a whole bunch of money, like, based oh. on how much money this person is worth. And oh, I was like, wow. this is really dark music of this episode. And uh, I loved it. So it was great. If you ever want to really watch a great it. concept for a little short sto- horror story thing. Yeah. Put people in a wood chipper and out pops money. And it's, <laughs> it, it was it was just really good. I liked it a lot. So that was yeah, my week. That sounds like a cool story. Yeah, cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it was fun. And uh, I've been playing a lot of Dead by Daylight again on, on stream. So I'm having a good time. It's been a good week. So I haven't gotten much sleep, but like, I, oh my gosh. So I, I didn't actually set an alarm because I have to I have to work this morning. Don't tell my boss. But uh, <laughs> I woke up and I was like, oh, I could probably go back to sleep. It's like Sunday or something. It's not Sunday. It's Friday. <laughs> no, it's, Friday. it's really not. <laughs> it's Friday. I got to record a podcast. I got to work. Ugh. But yeah, I, I don't know. You want to just like uh, get into this little episode? It's a kind of a talker of an episode. Yeah, I guess. I guess we should, huh? Yeah, so we just got done watching Season 3, Episode 3 of Tales from the Crypt, The Trap. Brandon, what did you think about The Trap? The Trap was an okay episode. It was not great. It was not terrible. It's a, This is a silly one, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, the tone of this one is just pretty bonkers, actually. And, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. <laughs> That's what I'll say about it at the top. It's a good thing to say about it. Yeah. Uh yeah. I agree with you. It's just kind of it's not like the best we've seen so far this season, but mm-hmm. um I don't know. It's fun enough. The characters are like very outrageous. Um mm-hmm. this the idea of it is kind of classic, and then they put their tails from the crypt spin on it. And I think it's kind of smart. And I'll explain that when it happens. Okay, you're gonna have to. Yeah, I mean overall it's really fucking stupid and it should never work. Yeah. Um, this, like this episode more than any episode I think we've seen of any of these shows is like, you have to kind of leave your brain at the door Mm -hmm. and just, just go with the story. Because if you think about it at all, you're like, this would not work. This is stupid. These characters are being very stupid. Yes. But, you know, watching it on its own merits, it's okay. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, yeah, this is really a stupid episode. Just like um, typical protocol is just thrown out the window in this episode because I mean, like I, I we can't really spoil it because like the IMDb description from last week really just spoiled the entire fucking episode. Yeah, it really so, did. Like I kind of was upset about that, um, but not that much because really like you kind of know exactly what's going to happen, really. Yeah, there's no surprises in this episode. Nah, let's just go ahead and get into it. Like I said, this one is a very talky episode. I did my notes for this one. It took me a really long time because it's just people talking. Everybody just wants to talk in this episode and explain things. And Our episode begins with us looking at a little sign for the Crypt Keeper Insurances, LLTD. What does LTD stand for? Limited? Sure. Life insurance to die for. The camera pans up to see that the Crypt Keeper is struggling to put the lid on a stone coffin. He's in a nice suit with a tie, and he greets us calling us boars and ghouls this time. It's funny. He uh, he cleans up pretty well, the Crypt Keeper. 
Yeah, he's looking stylish as hell. Yeah. He's a, he's he's a working man. Mm-hmm. He says that he'll be with us in a sec. He just got to finish with this customer. And we see a hand sticking out of the tomb, which he just pushes right inside of it and says he's just going over some of his terms of his coverage. Then he finishes sliding that lid in place and bets that this is one clause he won't be getting out of. That sets him in a fit of giggles for a minute before he reaches down and sets his tome of tails on the lid. And he tells us tonight's nasty nugget concerns a man with a problem. He wants to collect on his life insurance without dying in the process. I call this little annuity the trap. The picture for this one is something. In the foreground, we see a casket. There's a portion of it that's like x-rayed, so we get to see inside. And there's this kind of heavy set man with a cigarette in his mouth, and he's counting some money. Outside the casket, there's three people dressed in black that are mourning his death. A woman who actually looks like she doesn't give a shit. An older woman who kind of looks pissed. And then there's a man who's holding on to the other woman, and he looks kind of sad, I guess. Yep. That's the whole picture. Yeah, it's pretty basic. Uh, you know, for the first time, though, in a while, I feel like it doesn't spoil the ending. It spoils, like, the middle. Yeah. We have the description to, to spoil the ending. Yeah. Well, you know, they didn't have IMDb's stupid descriptions before, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good we don't have the Crypt Keeper like, in this story, the little guy, and then he goes and everything, and it's the end. You want to see it? Not so much anymore? Okay. (laughs) We pop into the episode where there's a radio resting on top of a White House cookbook. And it's playing a little upbeat something-something about Rio de Janeiro or whatever. Um, We hear this song a couple of times in the episode. I mean, it's pretty catchy. I was like, yeah, I could go to Rio de Janeiro right now. Bopping along to it. It's not quite Jose's Cantina, but that's okay. The camera pans across the room, and we see it's Tuesday the 13th of some month. Who knows? And we look up in a cupboard where there are just cans and cans of chunk light tuna. Yuck. (laughs) An arm reaches up and snatches one of those identical cans, and she closes the doors. And she dances her way over to another cupboard and then starts just hacking away at a cucumber. She looks again at that can of tuna, and we pop outside where somebody is looking in on her through a Goosebump-style creeper cam. Yep. Copying RL. Yeah, RL is gonna sue. Oh, boy. She opens that can up, and we see somebody enter the house, but she can't hear the door creak because she's just dancing and jamming to that music. (laughs) The figure slowly walks up to her, and she turns around and screams, dropping the tuna that's in a bowl now to the ground. The man who just scared her asks, What the fuck is wrong with you? Clean up this fucking mess. The woman, whose name is Irene, asks the man, Lou, what he's doing home so early. He takes a step to the fridge saying that he got canned. Then he opens up a beer and says, Yeah, I got canned. <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's keep that in. Yep. Okay. Yes. In case you didn't understand, he got canned, which means he got fired. You got something to say about that? Hmm? Hmm, Brandon? I don't. You better Irene not. doesn't. Okay, good, good. And he grabs her and she's like, no, I mean, you only had that job for like a week. Uh, It was just delivering pizzas. I don't see how you could have possibly gotten. But she gets interrupted by him asking if the red level is in the north, the south, east, or west wing of the Pug's office. Pug's office (laughs) town? I don't know where they're talking about. Yeah, it's nonsense. I don't know what he's saying, but neither does Irene. (laughs) And he grabs her wrist tighter and he yells, I don't either, but that's where I parked. And it took me 20 minutes to deliver the pizza and four and a half hours to find the fucking car. I still don't know where it is. Not that that matters since I couldn't bail it out anyway. 
and we see Irene now picking up the tuna mess from the floor, and she asks what they're going to do because they owe so much money in bills. Lou already knows about all the bills. He doesn't want to hear any of that shit. This is just like the beginning because all they do is talk in this episode. Yeah. There is a lot of talking. I, it's All my notes is just like Irene says, Billy says, Lou says. It, it's going to get annoying. Irene suggests that she could get a job, like doing manicures at Betty's Beauty Bar. Lou tells her, fuck that. No wife of Lou Paloma is going to go out and work. Irene tries to argue, but he yells, forget it. I can handle it, Irene. I think he talks in that kind of an accent, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with it. And then he gets up and he knocks the bowl of tuna back on the ground because he's the worst. <laughs> Yes, that's going to be a theme of this episode. Yeah, Lou. Lou fucking sucks. Yeah, Lou does suck. Uh, I love Irene, though. I think she's wonderful. And Billy's not bad. We haven't seen Billy yet, but I think he's pretty good. Yeah, spoilers. Somebody named Billy isn't too bad. They did, Yeah, that's weird. IMDb didn't tell us anything about that. Hmm. We stay with Irene, who looks upset and sad until we warp over to Lou, who's watching the TV. He doesn't like what he's seeing, so he angrily turns that shit off when in walks Irene from the other room. Lou swears he'll get them out of this. He's got plenty of dreams left. And Irene picks up the TV tray and plops it in front of Lou, saying that she's just worried because the bank's been calling about the house and the credit card companies are calling, the ones that we haven't canceled. And Lou's all, Irene! And she waves him away, saying, yeah, I know, you'll take care of it. You've been saying that since I met you, but I used to believe in your dreams, but I'm really worried now. I don't know how much more of this I can take. While Irene is talking here, she's also delivering Lou a sandwich and a beer. That's nice of her. Doesn't deserve it, but... No. Especially considering, like, she didn't even know he was going to be home. She's just, like, making some sandwiches. Lou lifts his hands up, saying, Irene, I will get another job. If worse comes to worst, I'll borrow more money from my mother. Irene doesn't think that his mom has any more money to give, though, so he quickly suggests they borrow money from Irene's mom. And Irene crosses her arms, saying, my mom's dead. He jumps up in a fit, yelling, he'll handle it, when the phone rings. Lou looks at it, and then he points to Irene, so that means I guess she's got to answer the phone. Yes. And when the phone rings, it, like, literally jiggles. Oh, is it, like, in the the front? Yeah. (laughs) It's like a cartoon. It was then that I was like, okay, I know what kind of episode we're getting. Yeah, we're getting a silly, like, Ron Oliver-y episode in a way. I miss the Ron Oliver days. Yeah, it wishes it was a Ron Oliver episode. (laughs) She walks over, she picks it up, and she says, hello? And it's Mr. Neff on the line who says he didn't get his payment. And Irene's all, yeah, I I know we're behind, but Lou assures me he's written the check and he's throwing it in the air. Uh, Crossed it off. Uh, He mailed it to you because like Lou is pantomiming what she should be saying, but he's really terrible at it. So, (laughs) yeah, Mr. Neff demands to speak with her husband because they got a big problem. See, and Irene puts her hands over the phone and tells Lou, this is bad. They're going to cancel his life insurance policy if he doesn't get a payment. Lou walks up. He grabs that phone now and he says, hello, Mr. Neff, Lou Paloma here. Mr. Neff asks if he's going to pay him or what? And Lou laughs a little saying, yeah, I'm totally going to pay you. Neff ain't sure about that, though, so he yells at Lou to get a job and calls him a bum. And Lou gets offended, yelling, You can't talk to me like that. I'm Lou Paloma. Yeah, bully, pal. The Lou Paloma? This guy on the phone is pretty unprofessional. He kind of is, but you know what? I bet you he has to deal with Lou Paloma like every fucking month. He's probably really sick of him by oh, now. His He's life like, is full of Lou Palomas. 
you know what? That's what you kind of sign up for when you do insurance, though, right? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to sell insurance. That's part of the game. I, I just, I couldn't do it. I would never. Like, if I was homeless and stuff, I would be like, no, I'm not selling insurance. I can't. No. No offense to anybody that's selling insurance, I guess. <laughs> well, a little bit. Lou slams that phone down, yelling that he is a scumbag. Then he turns to Irene saying, geez, you give him money your whole life and the one time you really need it. But then the music sting goes off because Lou's got a great idea. Irene asks, you're not thinking of cashing in on that policy, are you? It's the only security that we have. And Lou wags his fingers saying, what if, uh, what if we could get that security only I don't have to die? Maybe we could even get our asses out of debt or even live know. a little. <laughs> the dying part is probably the best part of the whole deal. Well, yeah. <laughs> if Lou dies, that's almost better than the money. For Irene, for sure. And you know what? She yeah. deserves it. Irene protests a moment, but Lou's already picking up the phone and beep booping in a number. And it's Billy at the morgue. And Lou asks if he's doing anything tonight. It's me. It's Billy Baxter. <laughs> yeah. So Lou, like, just takes over this conversation talking to Billy. He's like, you doing anything? No? Okay, you're coming over tonight then. But we cut over to the morgue and we see that there's this dead body of an old-ass man right there. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, some blood on his forehead. Gross. And we hear that the phone conversation's still going on. And Billy says that he is real busy. But Lou wants to know what he's doing since he hasn't had a date in years. And we see that he's measuring this man's head, I guess. With sure, a why not? Putting some dots on it, perhaps. Billy says that he's doing his job and starts up a bone saw. And Lou yells at him to come on over again because Lou's his big brother and he said so. Then he slams the phone down and does a little dance because we're back over with Lou and Irene right now. And he's got a real great idea. Irene wants to know what's all the hubba. And Lou says that he just wants to talk to Billy. That's all. He's got a feeling they'll need his services as a coroner. We cut to the night where Lou opens up the door and lets Billy inside, who immediately complains that he has a ton of work to do tonight. Lou gets it, but also, family comes first. So he's got to help him out. It's like a binding contract. Yeah, that's in the Constitution. I, I... <laughs> Thou must help family commit fraud. Oh yeah, I forgot about that section. Irene walks up with some bomb-ass tea, and it reminded me that we haven't seen a lot of bomb-ass tea lately. Yeah. Where are these old ladies to bring us bomb-ass tea when we need it? Yes. I, right? Like, are you afraid of the dark is the only uh, stories that wrote bomb-ass tea being delivered by old women? Like, goosebumps. Where were you? They really dropped the ball on the bomb-ass tea. Yes, they really did. I haven't been able to use that joke since, like, season three of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's disgusting. She says, hello, William. And he smiles and says, hello. And then asks Lou what he wants. And Lou's all, what do I want? And the camera quick zooms up to his face, and he says, I want to be dead. <laughs> okay, okay, Lou. We all want that too, Lou. It's Yeah. Billy says, what? And Lou repeats himself, adding in that what he wants is for everyone to think he's dead, his insurance company in particular. He holds up his policy, which is for a quarter of a million dollars, and with a double indemnity, indemnity, indemnity clause? I don't know what that is. That makes him worth half a million bucks dead. Yeah, he explains all this as if it's something that he just came up with and, like, he's a genius for thinking of it. But, like, this is just straight-up insurance fraud. And mm-hmm. <laughs> any any investigator worth their salt would be like, this is obviously fraud. I literally just called him to collect a payment and now he's dead? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's stupid. But, as I said, we're just going to go along with it. Yeah, suspend that disbelief. 
Billy blinks at him saying, and you want me to help with this? Lou nods and Billy's all, I can't do that. I'm a public official. But Lou counters saying, but you're my brother. That comes first. Yeah. Read the Constitution, Billy. Yeah, Billy. Jeez. How'd you get into this job if you didn't even read the Constitution? Yeah. You're a public official and you haven't even read the terms (laughs) and conditions. Probably just scrolled down and was like, agree. (laughs) Laziness. We look at Irene, who thinks Lou is out of his mind because that's fraud, and they could all go to jail for this. Lou screams out, Christ, this is half a million bucks we're talking about. Billy, I'll even cut you in on the action. Billy immediately says that he can't do it, but Lou tells him, it's easy. Just pronounce me dead and say I was mated. Hmm. You're the coroner. When you put it that way, sure. What's the big fucking deal? It's simple, Brandon. Simple. He's got this all thought out within the span of like 20 minutes. It's not it's yeah, not hard. It's like kind of dumb that he hasn't died already. Like so easy. <laughs> Billy doubles down saying that it is totally out of the question. This pisses off Lou who pushes Billy down to a chair yelling. It's not a question, Billy. If you don't help me, I'll tell Ma you ripped off her retirement money. Now oh, Billy shit. here. Maybe Billy's not so okay. Look, if you're going to have to deal with either the law or Lou and Billy's mom, like... The answer is obvious, okay? You deal with the law. That's right. Less scary. Because later on we find out that Billy's mom is crazy. (laughs) Now Billy here has his hands raised over his face, so he doesn't get hit anymore because apparently uh, domestic, no. Is this domestic? Sibling abuse? I guess it's not domestic, is it? Uh, Sure it is. Does it qualify? I guess it does, doesn't it? I don't know. Me neither. But he says that I took out that money for you. And Lou stands up saying that he never saw us none of it, which is what I'll say to mom. Besides, you're the one that manages it for her, and your name is all over the withdrawals. He wouldn't. He would. He would do it. Irene butts in, asking Lou how low he can go. And Lou is all, girl, as low as I have to. Six feet under, baby. (laughs) Good one, Lou. But he's doing this for Irene, Brandon, so why is she even butting in in the first place? I know. Come on, Irene. Lou wants her to get out of this dump. Picture him. Picture him and the, and Irene on a beach in Rio. I can get you a Cuisinart and everything. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sold. A Cuisinart, Brandon. Can you imagine? No, I literally can't. I love home appliances. <laughs> Isn't that what she deserves, Brandon? It is, though. Yes. Irene agrees it because is. she does deserve a Cuisinart. And she just doesn't want to commit a crime to get it. Lou looks at Irene and his brother saying that they should just get used to the idea because they're 100% doing it. Then he laughs and he walks between them and dances down the hall. We cut to later where Lou is laying on the floor on his back and he scratches his balls. Irene walks in telling Lou to stop scratching himself or this is never gonna work. Lou's trying, but he just itches, Brandon. Sometimes you just itch. Yeah, they just have to throw a really funny joke in there. When you're pretending to be dead, mm-hmm. you just itch, okay? You know, he probably Gosh. put that makeup on every square inch of his body just in case. <laughs> yes. He put powder and makeup, and he went all the way. He did. He's a professional, this slew. <laughs> he's got to make it look real, yeah. <laughs> we see that he's got this makeup on his face that makes him look like a zombie from the original Dawn of the Dead. It's just kind of like bluish silver. Yeah. It does not look like an authentically dead body. Not even a little bit. I don't know what the <laughs> hell he's thinking. He did. He saw Dawn of the Dead and it was like, that's it. That's dead people. No. Irene goes off a little saying, that's what we'll tell them. Oh, yes, officer. He is dead, but he just can't stop scratching himself. By the way, you need to breathe shallow. I can see you breathing from across the room. In walks Billy saying he got rid of everything and he doesn't think it'll be traced. 
Lou pops up from the ground asking if, if his makeup looks good, and Billy's looking at it and saying, yeah, it's not right. Nope. It's it's too white. It's not too white, though. It's too blue. It needs to look more ashy. Lou complains, saying, ain't that just great? I told her I needed to look like I was dead, not like I work for the Barnman fucking Bailey. Barnum and Bailey? Barnum and Bailey, yeah. I looked it up, though, because I was like, what the fuck is that? It's a traveling circus show. Yeah. You said that like I should know, Brandon. I mean, I it's Barnum the most Bailey. famous name in traveling circus shows. Look, I only know of Cirque du Soleil, which is not a traveling show because it's in Las Vegas. But I always just went to the Shrine Circus, okay? I don't know if that <laughs> is only in Michigan or what. But have you been oh, to the Shrine brother. Circus? No. Oh, my God. Remember when we went to the circus that one time? I guess it wasn't a circus. It was, it was more like a little play thing. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they had the family with the balloons. Yeah, with the, and they with kept the throwing their kids kid. in there. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, this kid would just like dance and gyrate as they threw him like six feet into the air. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck are we watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still talking about it decades later. So, yeah, they, they were doing something right. They did. They imprinted on our memories. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder what they're doing these days. That was like 20 years ago. Probably still the same thing. They're just throwing that child still in the air. I guess it's not a child well, that, anymore. <laughs> that child is probably throwing his own kids. Oh my gosh. And the the legacy continues. Yeah. <laughs> Lou stands up and he walks into another room as Irene sighs saying that this is totally crazy. Billy tells her not to worry that this will work. And when the police arrive, he'll take over. You just need to remember the story. You came home and you found him. As he was dying, he told you that he walked in on a burglar. They struggled and the burglar stabbed him. You called me because I'm your brother-in-law and a doctor. I came over here and I called the police. Irene stands up looking at him asking, and then what happens? Billy's all, I don't know. We drive off that bridge when we come to it. Good plan. Yeah, this is going to work. Irene stops and looks at him saying, I would have stood up for you before, you know, about your mother's money. I mean, and Billy gets kind of sad saying, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. She always loved Lou best. Then the two are about to swoop in for a passionate smooch. But Lou stomps into the room complaining about about how fucked up this shit is. You know, talking about his makeup. He asks Billy if he's going to let him see his face. But he says that he'll try to keep it covered and away from them. But he can't guarantee that because they're cops. And it's their job to look at this face. Billy looks around the room really quick and he says, all right, go over there. That'd be good. And he points and Lou walks over and pretends to be dead by the fireplace. Billy crouches down telling Irene that he needs more light. So the lights are turned on and Billy grabs a big chef's knife and he pokes a hole in Lou's shirt. He pulls out a package and Lou asks what it is. And Billy tells him, well, the knife went in and out. There'd be bits of bone and muscle and lung. And then he puts some of those bits on Lou, who thinks that is disgusting. <laughs> He thought he could play dead without making a mess. <laughs> yeah, Lou. He thought he could play murdered <laughs> without getting a little dirty. So I assume that these bits of like bone and muscle and lung and stuff, they must be from like a cadaver that yeah. Billy was working on. I guess probably Billy that old just man brought brought his work home with him. Yeah. So like the corpse gets to the the funeral and they're like, "Why is he got bones and stuff missing?" Shut up. Then he pulls out some blood and drops it on him and. Lou's impatient here. This is probably my favorite part of the episode because it's very, like, subtle yet very important. Lou's impatient here telling him to just dump it. But Billy's a professional saying a fatal chest wound like this would have gushed. I need to tell him that it happened and they need to buy it. Then Billy slides the knife across the blood stain as Lou giggles and raises his eyebrow at Irene. I don't know why he would do that. 
Billy stands up asking where they think the burglar would have left the murder weapon. And Irene shrugs and suggests, I don't know, maybe by the door? And she goes to reach for it and Billy tells her to be careful because of fingerprints. But Lou's had it enough. So he grabs the knife and he just tosses it across the room saying, come on, let's get this show on the road. And then he scratches himself again. And Irene yells at him once more. He's so impatient. Like, this is this is something that you've got to take a little bit of time to... Right, it takes planning. <laughs> but he's he's totally just by the seat of his pants, like, ah, whatever, I'll just... I'll close my eyes, no one will check my pulse at all, it'll be fine, let's go. Yeah, like, they're trying to do something very illegal, and he's just like, whatever, it's gonna be fine. Like, Lou, could be stupid. No, actually, just continue being stupid, let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, sure. So then Lou looks around saying, this isn't gonna work, I need to be unconscious. Hey, Irene, go over here and give me a little shot upside the head. And he hands her a fire poker. And she says, she can't do that. But he says, nah, it's a free shot for all the times I slapped you around. Okay. All right. I already didn't like Lou. Yeah. Now he's just, just like the piece of shit that's is just adding up. Yeah. Irene tells him no. So Lou gives her a reason. He tells her, you know that time last month I didn't come home from work? I was balling Betty Lura. Betty Lou I don't know. Betty Lou In the back room of the beauty parlor. That's Irene's goddamn best friend. And Lou's all, yeah, I must have fucked her so many times. This pisses off Irene enough to start smacking him with the poker. But it's not enough. So Billy takes over and just whacks him over and over again until he passes out. Why would he tell her that if his plan is still for her and him to run away together? I don't know, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, this guy's acting a little bit stupid. That's out of character. But yeah, I believe it, though. I believe I believe that Lou is, uh, you know, committing adultery and all this because he's a piece of shit. He is telling the truth for sure. Fuck Lou. Hey there, everybody. Cortland here, your good buddy and your insurance provider. Thank you so much for joining us today, whether this is your first episode or you've listened to everything that we've done so far. We just appreciate you spending some time with us. We post a ton of content every week over on our Patreon. So if you just can't get enough up all night, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash private island for as little as a dollar a month. I post early ad-free episodes, bonus movie reviews, bloopers, and so much more. I'd like to take a moment to thank our current patrons, the Beths, Venice Witch, Tristan, Redemption, Lyle, Eddie, Ray, Rad, Magical, and Faith, the Goths, Stephen, Matt, Lindsay, Aaron, Brittany, Rachel, Sid, and Corey, the citizens of Carlsville, Sarah, Ryan, Mr. Normal, Matt, Keith, Christy, Angela, and Meredith, and your boys and girls, Kathy, Fair, and Bryson, Brian. Thank you for your support, everybody. Brandon and I truly appreciate it. Of course, we're all over social media, too. We work hard to create videos, memes, and more for every episode that we cover. So I hope you check it out and smash that like button. We're on Instagram and threads at Up All Night Podcast, on Twitter or X at UAN Pod, on YouTube at Up All Night HA Podcast, and on TikTok at Private Island Presents. You can hang out with me live on Instagram, where we watch full-length episodes of the shows. We're right in the middle of the first season of Friday the 13th, the series right now, and it's a lot of fun. I also go live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash privateislandc, where I play a lot of horror games. I'd like to take a moment to thank the Benevolent Badger for their work on the music for our show, aside from this theme dating star from Undertale, composed by Toby Fox. I'd also like to thank Brandon for his work on the artwork. 
Thanks so much for listening in. For now, I'll let you get back to the episode, and I will talk with you next week. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Billy tells Irene that he hates the way that Lou treats her, and then is all, oh shit, I think I killed him. And he quick checks him and is all, no, wait, I didn't. And he runs over to the phone and he dials the police saying, hello, I'd like to report a murder. We cut to the police at the scene where Billy explains that he got there exactly 32 minutes ago. Another officer is asking Irene what her husband said to her before he died, which is kind of a weird thing to ask, but whatever. Did he describe the man who did it? Irene, through tears, says, no, he just said he loved me. And the cops all, all right. So, Billy, this must be tough for you, too, considering he's your brother and all. And Billy plays it up saying, yeah, I just talked to him this morning. He had so many plans. <laughs> he was going to play Mortal Kombat. It just came out. So many plans, like not dying. Yeah. Not running away with the shirts, money. <laughs> the cop thinks that that's rough and suggests getting someone else in here to take care of it. But Billy, Billy says he can handle it. He's a pro. And the cop tells him that he'll get that scumbag who did this to him, and that's a promise. Okay, let's get to this body out of here. So they go in and they scoop it up, but the cop takes a look at the fire poker, asking, wait, what's this? And Billy quickly asks Irene, hey, um, didn't he say he got hit with a fire poker? And Irene's all, oh, yeah, totally. He said he loved me, and also he got hit with a fire points poker. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then he died. I believed you until now. But now I'm going to have to do my job. Let's see if the cop does his job. Billy asks what the difference this would make. And the cop tells him, well, for all we know, Lou used that on the perpetrator. I want to look at this body to see if it has any wounds on him that could look like this could have caused it. But Billy intervenes saying, nah, I mean, I looked at the body. I would have I would totally noticed a fireplace poker attack, you know. But you might be onto something. Why don't I check the blood in this thing and see what turns up? Cops all, yeah, sure. I'll go do my report. You can call me in the morning. And with that, everybody leaves and we see Lou on the ground scratching his nuts through the cloth because he's like covered up. Yeah. We cut over to Lou and his casket at the funeral and Irene and Lou's mom are all in black and they're crying. Or at least Irene is pretending to cry anyway. And walks Billy and the cop and the cop explains everything is coming up dry so far. No one saw the guy go into the house or leave the house. He hasn't tried to sell any of the stolen goods. And to be honest, I think we're dealing with a professional. (laughs) You're not. He's just too good. Scott's <laughs> the worst. This murder is so obviously fraud that we must be dealing with some kind of mega genius playing 40 chess. It's it's so stupid that it's circled into <laughs> like impossible to solve. It's great. Billy thanks the cop and he walks over to Lou's casket. And Lou's mom's standing up and she's yelling, what have they done to my poor Lou? But Billy stops her saying, mom, try to control yourself, please. We look at the mom, who's still yelling about her precious Lou's death, and we see she has a similar birthmark on her cheek. Because I forgot to mention, like, Lou has, like, this birthmark on his cheek, and this mom also has it. Mm-hmm. She's connected but Billy with Lou. doesn't. No. He's the black sheep of the family. She yells more about how she just wants to be with her son, and Billy tells her, but mom, I'm your son, too. She just looks at him, and she says, don't rub it in. Oh, no. And then continues yeah. crying so about Lou. she hates Billy. Yeah, for no because uh, yeah, the mom must also be a piece of shit. That's the only thing I could figure out. Yeah, yeah. Irene swoops in to help and scooch her away, and they sit down. And Irene tells her that Lou is in a better place, but Mom yells, "What would you know about it? You didn't deserve my Lou." Now Lou in the casket can't help but giggle at that one to himself because it was hilarious. Then he goes back to being dead. So, 
Billy speaks up now, saying, in keeping with his brother's wishes, they'll cremate his body and bury his ashes at sea. <laughs> Can you really bury things at sea? You just kind of, like, fluff you it just, off into the yeah. sea, right? And then you it comes fish it. food. Yeah. He goes to close the casket, but Mama Paloma gets up screaming, no! And she rushes in to smooch Lou all over the face until she's torn away by Billy and the cop. Then Billy slams the coffin lid down and Irene walks up saying that his mom is really distraught. Billy's all, actually, she's nuts. Once mom and cop are out of the room, Irene tells Billy that he was just brilliant. And they stare into each other's eyes and then Irene grabs him and pushes him to Lou's casket and gives him a big smooch. Billy thinks Irene looks real good in black. She looks all right. We have so much episode left to cover. (laughs) I know. There's just so much talking. So it's the worst. We pop into Lou's casket and he's laughing. He's looking at some pictures and he's singing about flamingos and smoking a little cigarette all in a tiny casket. Then he stops because he hears Billy and Irene fooling around. And we pop up to Billy and Irene and they are literally on top of Lou's casket. With Lou inside, and they're smooching it up and making a whole bunch of noise. They're dry humping on top of his casket, moaning and smooching, and like, that thing's not soundproof. And they know he's not dead, (laughs) so I don't know what they think they're doing. I love it. I think it's it's probably my favorite part of the episode. (laughs) It's just a big fuck you to, to Lou, and it's great. We hear Irene call out for Billy, just absolutely ignoring Lou. And her leg kicks a lever, and the casket starts rolling its way over to the incinerator, which opens up to a big fire. And no one seems to notice at all. And Lou knocks on the lid saying, Hey! Hey, he's getting out of here! (laughs) Just a little bit toasty. I do love the visual of, like, the casket with two people on top of it, just slowly rolling into an incinerator. (laughs) Yeah, so they had this showing in the crematorium. Yep. Uh, yep. The casket was just on the conveyor belt, just like, all right, come say your goodbyes to this man five seconds before we just launch him into this fire. I love it. It's so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> the action gets interrupted by Mama Paloma, who busts into the room asking, where is she? Where's the trashy bimbo? Why weren't you home making dinner? You should be in this coffin. Irene and Billy have stopped being on top of each other now, so nobody actually saw that happen because, you know, the angles and stuff. And Mama Paloma just gets up on that casket and she just starts riding it into the fire. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Inside, Lou knocks on the lid, so Mama's all, hey, he's alive, I can hear him. And the casket gets closer and closer to the fire as Mom yells that it's all good, he's alive, until she's dragged off the casket. It's about to head into the incinerator when Irene is all, hey, we should probably stop that. So Billy jumps down and he pulls the lever and it stops the uh, incineration. All of their problems would have been solved if they just let it keep going. Yeah. Like it speaks to their character, I guess, that they didn't want to murder this man. But uh, yeah, if he just died, then they would have gotten the insurance money anyway. Legitimately. And then not had uh, Lou in the picture. But they still would have had to worry know, about this cop that's, you know, just bound and determined to find the person that murdered this horrible man for some reason. But, you know, it would have been easier for them. Yeah. Yeah. Over in an office or something, Billy pours Irene a drink saying to us and then up pops Lou saying to hell with us. Let's get that money and fly ourselves to South America. Ain't that right, baby? From now on, it'll be you and me and Easy Street all the way. The minute we get to Rio... But Irene stopped and saying, Lou, we've been we've been thinking maybe it's not such a good idea for both of us to go to Brazil. 
Luke can't believe what he's hearing because the plan was that he'll get a fake passport, go to Brazil, and get a little plastic surgery. Billy tells him it's just too obvious, and they might as well confess to everything. Irene is a widow, and she needs to stay here for a couple of months, and when things die down, she can come and join you. Irene just kind of retells that plan to Lou, which was weird. Besides, they can just stay here and get everything in order. Lou asks, well, what about the money? And Billy says that it needs to stay here in America, so the IRS doesn't get curious. Honestly, the best thing Lou can do is get away and lay low for a while. Here is $15,000, okay? That should cover all your expenses while you're away. Plastic surgery and everything. Lou is dumb, so he's buying into this and laughs a bunch, and Irene assures him once he, the coast is clear, she'll fly over to see him. And they clink glasses together as Lou laughs some more. We cut over to the plane where Lou is flying to Brazil, and suddenly, we're in Brazil. So, that's great. We see a woman walk by the camera showing off her whole butt cheeks and everything. It's great. Yep, stays with the crypt. We see another woman with a bikini on, and she slowly walks by Lou, who's calling for a waiter. And Lou says that he'll take the huge. Also, give me a telephone so I can call my wife. And he looks on at two other women enjoying their lunch, and he laughs. I won't be married long. <laughs> Moving here is going to kill my wife. The waiter slips him a phone saying, yeah, those girls over there, they don't understand English. And he boops in a phone number, and he gets the answering machine of Irene, who just is not in. Instead of leaving a message, he just hangs up the phone. And the waiter hands Lou a great-looking drink, calling him Mr. Smith. And also, it's another beautiful sunset, is it not? Lou agrees. It really is. What do you think of the look of this uh, Rio de Janeiro set? It looks like a set. Like it's just—it's very, uh, it's very fake. It looks almost exactly like Barbie Land from the movie Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> like it's very, very like dollhouse. Very it is. colorful. It looks great. It does, but it looks also very fake. Yes, yeah. very fake. We cut to another day where Lou is trying to call Irene, but she doesn't answer. And the waiter gives him another of his usual and compliments the sunset. But Lou doesn't seem interested in all that. The waiter asks if he's talked to his wife and if she's coming. And Lou tells him, yeah, she is. And so is Christmas. He's clearly upset that you know, Irene's not answering. We cut to even later and find out the number for Irene has been disconnected. The waiter talks about yet another beautiful sunset because it's all he talks about. But Lou explodes yelling, shut up! Just shut the fuck up! Where is she? We see a plane flying, which can only mean that Lou has gotten on that plane and he is headed back to the States. Yep. Okay, we're on the home stretch here, folks. <laughs> There's actually surprisingly a lot left. Yeah, I just scrolled down even more and I have like five paragraphs left. Um, I, at this point, though, I was kind of like wondering, like, what is the conclusion here? I mean, I we haven't even seen Michael J. Fox yet. So what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, I said earlier that there's like no surprises, but I guess the surprise is that it keeps going after you think the story would be over. Yes, you're right. It does. It's kind of like uh, Corman's Calamity, where it just kind of keeps going and going. At a front door, Lou's there, and he says, all right, Irene, wait, what the fuck? And we see it's Irene, who asks, is there something I can do for you? Lou walks in yelling, yeah, you can start by telling me where you've been for six months while I've been wasting away in Margaritaville. Irene has no idea what he is talking about, and perhaps he'd like to speak with her husband? In her hands is a new Cuisinart food processor, Brandon. (laughs) Good for her. Nice. (laughs) She got it. She got the Cuisinart and everything. Lou yells that he is her husband, 
and in walks Billy, asking who this person is and what he wants with his wife. Lou just looks at him asking, your wife? His wife, you little whore! And Billy steps in now, telling Irene to call the police, and he'll take care of this shit. Lou grabs him, calling him a double-crossing son of a bitch. You stole the insurance money. Fuck this. I'm gonna tell the cops everything. I'll take you both down with me. Billy reverses the hold, because he, like, you know, Uno cards him, and gets the jump on Lou. And we hear Irene in the other room calling the cops as Lou looks around the beautiful house that Billy and Irene have together, saying, holy shit. Yeah. It is a pretty gorgeous they, house. They got like outside. half a million dollars in 1990. That buys a lot. Like blank check. I'm going to bring that up again. He buys that mansion for like quarter of a million dollars. Weird. Um, yeah, the, the house looks really nice. So it's all like in white and everything like matches and there's Cuisinarts. It's great. Yes, it looks very modern. 1990. <laughs> we cut to later that day where the officers are questioning Lou in the house. And he's just finished explaining. So he's all, and that's the whole story. <laughs> and then he recaps. Billy here faked the death and signed the certificate. And this little bitch plays the grieving widow. It was all a big setup. And the cop from earlier, from the episode, walks up by Billy and Irene asking, and you say they took the insurance money, Mr. Smith? And Lou tells him, I told you, I'm Lou Paloma. They double-crossed me, and I'm not going to let them get away with it. And the cop takes a step towards Lou, then kicks his foot off the table and grabs him and lifts him up, saying, These little scams might work where you come from, but they ain't worth shit in my territory. I saw the body. We all saw the body. Lou Paloma was laying right over there in a pool of blood. Book this shitbag and get him out of here. Lou stands up screaming that he's Lou Paloma, and he's dragged out of the house (laughs) screaming. Now we're in a courtroom, Brandon, because it goes on. Yes, the story could have ended there, but it does not. Nah, no, because we got to get Michael J. Fox in here. The cop is at the stand, and we hear Michael J. Fox ask, Sergeant McLean, you say you found blood on the fireplace, Poker. Whose blood was that? And the cop's all, well, due to fingerprinting, we can conclude that the blood on the fireplace poker was the defendant's. Mr. Fox here lifts up the knife, saying, and it doesn't match the blood that you found here, does it? And the cop tells him, that's right, the blood on the poker was not Mr. Paloma's, it was the defendant's. And Lou speaks up saying, yeah, of course it was my blood, they hit me with the poker. Fox continues asking about the fingerprints on the murder weapon. And the cop says, yeah, they were Mr. Smith's. Now the waiter from Brazil is at the stand because they flew him in from Rio de Janeiro. They're like, you're one guy who's met this guy, bring him in. (laughs) He identifies Lou as Mr. Smith. They even watched many beautiful sunsets together. At the stand now is Irene, who insists that she does not know Lou. She tells the court the first time she saw him was when he came to the door claiming to be her late husband. Now it's Billy's turn, and he says that he saw his brother dead. He even performed his autopsy, and that man over there is a shameless imposter. Next up, because there's more, is Mother Paloma. Mr. Fox asks, so, do you see your son in the courtroom today? Mom tells him, yeah. There he is. There's Lou. And she looks to be pointing right at Lou, who gets excited and saying, All right, here comes the cavalry. Mr. Fox asks, Okay, so who am I, ma'am? And Mom smiles saying, You're my son, Lou. He asks her who she is, and she's all, Oh, me? I'm Eleanor Roosevelt. And smiles. That's cute. I was half expecting her to say, Me? I'm my son, Lou. I I was kind of hoping she would, but... I'll take Eleanor Roosevelt. It's yeah, cute. Eleanor Roosevelt's <laughs> also great. Michael Fox's face pops into the camera, and he says, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't think we have much to talk about, 
Mr. Smith's sole defense is based on the ridiculous assertion that some terrible mistake has been made, that Lou Paloma never really died, and he in fact is Lou Paloma. Pretty pathetic, considering neither his wife or his brother or even his own mother seem to recognize him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're not dealing with a case of mistaken identity. This is a case of murder. Not only murder, but something even sicker. Not only has this man destroyed the lives of Luigi Paloma and everyone who's ever loved him, he's weaseled his way back into their lives for a financial gain. Everyone who's ever loved him, like, there's apparently only like three people who could identify this man. <laughs> like, did he not have any co-workers or acquaintances who could be like, yeah, that's fucking Lou. Like, come on. Well, the the fun thing about this episode is, like, how haphazardly Lou set up the, the whole, like, scene of the crime. Like, all yeah. these things against him are things that he was just like, nah, let's just get with it, you know. And just push this knife away. Hit me with this poker. I think it's real. like, this is the part where I think it's really smart. Um, I like this. This how everything okay. kind of You like the dramatic irony of, of it all. Yes. Yep, I do. Also Michael J. Fox, so that's pretty great too. Yeah, I like the reveal, like the like he talks before you see him, and then like he comes on the screen, like you're supposed to be like, oh, it's Michael J. Fox, but like <laughs> yeah. you hear his voice first and it's like it's obviously Michael J. Fox. Come on. Yeah, he just got off of like Back to the Future two or three or something. Like, yeah, it's Michael J. Fox. Come on now. Not fooling anyone. He also directed this episode, by the way. Oh, did he? Yes. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> We look over at the jury who has reached a verdict. They find the defendant guilty. Guilty! Guilty! <laughs> yeah, she's very uh, excited about it. She loves being able to declare that he's guilty and gets the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> I'll flip the switch myself. Lou jumps up in anger, yelling, For Christ's sakes, are all of you out of your heads? I'm Lou Paloma. And he gets handcuffed, and we cut again later over to a man telling Lou, Before you meet your maker, Mr. Smith, any last words? And we see Lou fade in, and he's hooked up to an electric chair. He then gives his last words. I'm Lou Paloma. Blow me. Then he gets electrocuted and fucking dies. And it takes a while, Brandon. We get a bunch of different cuts of him just being like... <laughs> yeah, it's not easy taking down the Lou Paloma. They give him a couple of extra juices just to, just to be why sure. Why was he killed? Like, why is he on trial for the murder? Like, he shows up and he's like, hey, it's me, Lou. And so, like, th th I don't understand how they get to thinking he's the murderer. Well, I think it's because he got plastic surgery in Rio de Janeiro, so they don't notice that it's, I mean, it's not even that much... I don't know, Brandon. Like the cops should have been like, "Oh yeah, that's surgery." Because he looks exactly the same. He just has a mustache. I think what I think they just like eliminated like the birthmark on his cheek, and that's about it. Um, like in Rio de Janeiro, he's got like a bandage over his nose at one point, like indicating that he did get plastic surgery. Okay. But like, I was just stupid and totally missed that because he doesn't look different at all. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. So, no, it's okay. I think it's just implied, like, suspend disbelief that he looks like he's got a whole new face. Okay, so he shows up. They're like, okay, this is a different person, but he's claiming to be Lou. Yeah. So he must be the one to have murdered him for yeah. the insurance policy, even though he wouldn't have been. Oh, I guess. No, that doesn't make sense because. No, the insurance policy is not even in to be there, Lou though. would not get him not get him any money no he just wants revenge on them for 
not coming to Rio de Janeiro in time. All right. I don't know. I can't figure out this this episode's logic, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, it, but it still goes on, Brandon, because the yes. waiter from Rio de Janeiro says, it's another beautiful sunset, right, Mr. and Mrs. Paloma? This fucking guy loves sunsets. That's why he lives Find there, man. Find someone who loves you as much as this waiter <laughs> loves sunsets. That's the moral of the story. Oh my gosh, it really is. We see that Irene and Billy finally made their way to Brazil, and they are living it up. They smooch, and that's finally the end of this episode. Oh, thank God. the tale, anyway. <laughs> over with the Crypt Keeper, we see him stamp down a big canceled stamp over some life insurance policy, and he says, poor Lou, poor Lou, I bet he wished now that he went for the term life. Even a life term would have been an improvement. Although you gotta admit, he's never looked so juiced about his future. He laughs a little, and he says, so what do you say? Can I interest you in a policy? The benefits are great, but the screamiums will kill you. And he laughs us out of the episode. And that's the trap. So by the end of the episode, Billy and Irene have essentially let Lou be killed. Yes. So if they're okay with him dying, they should have just let him be cremated. Yeah, they really should have. But I I don't know. Maybe they had like six months to think about it, though. So I don't know. I like their plan. I I, I like the idea that they were just like, okay, when he comes back, just just act like we don't know him. (laughs) Go away. (laughs) Maybe he'll just be like, oh, maybe I'm not Lou Paloma. It's a solid plan, Brandon. You ghost him until he gets juiced. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, it worked for them. They got to live in Barbie land at the end. (laughs) Oh, man, Brandon. So moral of the story. I mean, I think you nailed it right on the head there. Find somebody that loves you like that. uh, The guy in Rio de Janeiro loves the sunsets. Beautiful sunset. Uh, I, I would say don't commit insurance fraud. It's not going to work out, guys. Yeah, not because we love the insurance company so much. We just don't want you to get electrocuted. Right. That's the only logical outcome to, com- to committing any sort of fraud. Um, I'd say, like, don't slap your wife around because she's going to she's gonna get you. She's going to pretend you don't exist. <laughs> it's going to get you. Uh, one thing, though, too, like... Lou could have just lived his life happily in Rio de Janeiro, you know? Like, Yeah, that's the weird thing is because I guess we were supposed to be like, oh, man, he got fucked over by this chick. But, like, he didn't really seem to care for her that much in the first yeah. place. Like, he was abusing her. He was cheating on her. He could have just hooked up with some broad in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, whatever. Like, his sure, life. He, he didn't get the insurance money, but, like, whatever. That's yeah. That's yep, yep. <laughs> I don't that's it. <laughs> Nothing more to say. Yeah. Nah. Episode titles, Brandon, alternate episode titles. The trap is pretty I don't even think it's a trap at all. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know where that title comes from. No. What is what is the trap? I don't know. It's it. more like the insurance fraud. Yeah. The fraud. The Paloma experience. <laughs> the uh insurance screen. Not what? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to stretch scam into scream, but it doesn't work. No, that's okay, Brandon. Let's move on. Why don't we meet this cast? Okay. Who are these people? Who is this Michael J. something? Who? I don't know. Him. So first up, we got Irene, played by Terry Garr. And she has been in a ton of things, starting things off in 1963 with A Swingin' Affair. Yep. Which could have been the title for this. It could have been. It's another could alternate title. title. Yeah. She was in Batman in 1966 for an episode. She played Girl Outside Rink. Very classic oh, that's role. that's cool. 
She was in The Hardy Boys, The Mystery of the Chinese Junk, Brandon. What? Right, that's <laughs> You can't say that anymore. No, but like, what a boring episode title. I would not <laughs> want to watch that episode. I'd be like, yeah, it sounds like junk. <laughs> yeah. Anything with junk in the title. No, thanks. She was in The Girl with Something Extra, Brandon. 1973 to 1974. She yep. was in Young Frankenstein. I've never seen that movie. Uh, It's good. She's good in it. Hmm. She was in a, a movie called... No, wait, I'm sorry. She was in a TV show called Cher. She was in Cher, Brandon. Cher had a show? I guess so, yeah. Oh, yeah, that variety thing. Let's scroll up some more. She was in Sesame Street for an episode. I know of that. Cool. Mom and Dad Saved the World, Adventures in Wonderland. She was the Duchess. Okay, she was in the music video for the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters song. Oh, I love that song. She's not in the movie, but she's in the music video for it? Yeah. Okay, cool. She was in the Weird Al show, as well as Casper Meets Wendy with Hilary yep. Duff. Both classics. Let's go. Most recently, she was in something from 2011 called How to Marry a Billionaire. So she had a really long career, and I guess she was like, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, she did her She did her things. Next up, let's talk about Billy Paloma, played by Bruno Kirby. Oh, the late Bruno Kirby. He passed away in 2006. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Uh, he's been in, again, tons of stuff. Started things off in 1971 with The Young Graduates. He was in MASH and Super Dad and Columbo and The Godfather Part 2. Those are some uh, some hits. What else was he in? He was in Frasier. Remember that show? I don't. I do. Never really watched it. Yeah, I didn't like it as a kid, so I never gave it another shot. Ah, fuck. He was he was in Stuart Little, Brandon. God, he just could not stop acting with Michael J. Fox. No. there he Michael J. Fox was like, hey, remember that we were in that Tales from the Crypt together? I, I, I was directing you and everything. And he was like, yeah, let's do Stuart Little. <laughs> let's do Stuart Little. <laughs> uh, most recently, he was in something, you know, the year of his passing away, which was Entourage, an episode of Entourage. Yes. And that was Bruno. Next up, let's go with uh, Lou Paloma, uh, Bruce McGill. This guy's got to have like a million credits, right? 167 credits. He's so one he of those guys who you see and you're like, oh, it's that guy. He's in this. Yeah. Started things off 1977 with Citizen Band. He was in American Playhouse. Like, I just said that. I thought it was going to be American Psycho. I don't know. Good Night, Sweet Wife, A Murder in Boston. MacGyver. He was in 18 episodes of MacGyver. Cool. Home Improvement. He was in an episode of that. Babylon 5. Shallow Hell. I don't remember him in that. He was in Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. Oh, cool. Let me just keep scrolling up. He's been in a lot of stuff in the late 2000s. Cleveland show, uh, Family Guy, Back to the Multiverse. Uh, I don't you think it's a video game. Whatever. Last thing he was in, Love and Death <laughs> from 2023, three episodes. All right. Still working. Yep. Still working it. Gosh, there's so many episodes or so many characters here. We got two more. So let's go with James Tolkien, who played Sergeant McLean, who I lovingly referred to as cop almost the entire episode. Yes. He was a cop. He started things off 1960 with Naked City. Oh, man. That sounds oh, scandalous. Saucy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armed and Dangerous. He was in Masters of the Universe. Back to the Future Part 2. Look at that. He was Strickland in that. Oh. Yes, and Back to the Future Part 1. Oh. And Back to the Future Part 3. Was he in 3? Okay. Yes, he <laughs> was in all three of them. Man, okay. Uh, he was also in, in 2020, Back to the Future Project 85, the Back to the Future fan remake. I well, didn't know that cool. was a thing. The dude's still alive. He is. Still kicking it. 
All right, last character. Let's talk about Carol Baker, who played Ms. Paloma. Now, her picture's in black and white, so she has absolutely been in things from a very long time ago. Yes. Born in 1931. And uh, she's still she's still going. She's still alive. Um, started her career in 1952 with Monodrama Theater. Sounds really exciting. She was in How the West Was Won. Not How the West Was Fun, starring oh, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. You almost got me. I, I was know, like, I... oh! <laughs> <laughs> she was in Baba Yaga and some other stuff here. Let me just keep scrolling. The Secret Diary of Sigmund Freud. <gasps> Secrets. She was in Kindergarten Secrets. Cop. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good movie. We should talk about that movie someday. Yeah, I think actually we've had a couple of requests for it for a plot point, so we should, we definitely should. Nice. The last thing she was in was 2003's The Lion's Den, but Lion is spelled L-Y-O-N, so that's cool. Nice. All right. She looked really beautiful in her IMDb picture, I will say. Oh, I'm sure she'll appreciate that. Uh, I guess we should talk about Michael J. Fox, huh? Okay, right. It's I mean, Michael we J. could. Fox. Let's talk about him as a director. Okay. I don't think I see his list of directings. Oh my god, I forgot about Spin City. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I absolutely forgot about it. Okay, um, he's only directed two things. This episode of Tales from the Crypt was his first directing job ever. And mm-hmm. the year after this, in 1992, he directed one episode of a TV show called Brooklyn Bridge. Wow. And that's his okay. entire career. I would say that Michael J. Fox is probably best known for Back to the Future and what is it like Teen Werewolf isn't he in that or something? <laughs> Teen Wolf. Whatever. <laughs> and Spin City and Silver... S- no, Family Ties. He was in Family Ties. Yes. And Stuart Little, of course. He was in like three or four or something. Stuart Little's... Is, I'd is... say he's most known for being Chance from Homeward Bound and uh, that's it. I just I just recently watched Homeward Bound <laughs> That's awesome. What a great movie. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Maybe we'll do a plot points on that because I have things to say about it. (laughs) (laughs) You've got opinions about Homeward Bound. I do. Whoa, Sally Field was the voice of Sassy? Yeah, okay. I never knew that. Okay. Sassy's my favorite of the three. (laughs) I knew Sassy would be. We've never talked about Homeward Bound, Cortland. No, we haven't, have we? I know that sassy's your favorite she's she's got the best lines i don't know what to say (laughs) (laughs) all right brandon i'm done with the trap that was michael j fox Uh, you want to see what's next week yeah what do we got going on next week okay well the imdb description for this next episode is really short so i don't think it's going to ruin everything but the next episode of tales from the crypt is called abracadaver oh yes it reads a former potential surgeon sets out to wreak revenge on the brother whose cruel practical joke prevented him from realizing his dream okay so another like siblings getting revenge sort of deal i believe so yes all right uh bo bridges in this, in this episode Brandon. i i like bo yeah i love talking about him in uh in the wizard when we covered that yeah <laughs> he's like it's one like of the top uh top three bridges yeah i love him <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bridges. I love right. it. Look, he's got really good eyebrows, okay? Yeah, he's got great eyebrows. <sighs> all right, Brandon, I'm done here. I've been up all night. I'm fuck I'm out of here. I gotta go. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. It's another beautiful sunset, is it not? <laughs>